0: Welcome, podcast listeners. Today, we have a different show for you, one that covers one of the most stigmatized topics in modern society. And no, I'm not talking about your portfolio. Our guest is the founder and CEO of Maud, a startup launched to disrupt the legacy sexual tech industry, solely focused on sexual wellness for all people. In today's episode, we're talking about building a modern business around sexual wellness. We cover the origin story behind launching Maud, and the need for a brand that can push to destigmatize sex and focus on intimacy and wellness for all people. We discuss laws that shape and evolve the industry we're familiar with today. We get into innovating sexual wellness products and how Mod is doing that from a core base of quality, inclusive, essential products paired with modern packaging. We dive into the business, some of the interesting challenges the companies faced recently, like trying to keep products in stock, global supply chain issues during COVID, and finalizing a new round of funding. As a special offer for listeners of the show, visit getmod.com and use the code FORFABER, that's F-O-R-F-A-B-E-R, for 10% off your first order. This episode is brought to you by 10 East. Longtime listeners know I've invested in private markets quite a bit myself. But with access to these markets broadening, it can be hard to know where to find vetted high-quality offerings. That's where 10 East comes in. 10 East is a platform where qualified investors can co-invest on a deal-by-deal basis across private equity, private credit, real estate, venture, and other one-off opportunities, typically unavailable through traditional channels. They're founded and led by Michael LaFell, who spent his early career building Davidson Kempner and who invest material personal capital in every offering they bring to the platform, aligning interests with 10 East members who co-invest at their discretion. Join numerous founders, executives, and portfolio managers from leading investment firms who use 10 East to diversify their personal portfolios. Inquire for membership at 10east.co. That's the number 10, east.co. Please enjoy this episode with Maud's Eva Guacache. Eva, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much.
0: We're recording this in, I was getting ready to say, I don't even know what day of the week this is. It's Wednesday, late August. I've actually been on about a two-month road trip and coming back through Northern California to my home in LA, which used to be your home. But now where do we find you in quarantine into the summer?
1: I am sitting in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and I've been here for about four years. So I don't miss LA much. I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I was in LA for about eight years.
0: I love New York City. I miss getting there. Fingers crossed for 2021. Although I did say earlier in this year, one of the questions I was asking podcast guests, I said, when's the next time you're going to see live music? And I checked that box this summer. I was socially distancing in Wyoming. Got to see a great bluegrass band. So there's green shoots of hope, I think. And you guys seem to have turned the corner a little bit. Does that sound about right?
1: Yeah, I mean, New York, as I was saying to someone this morning. I feel like the people that are left are resilient and they're happy. They're making the best of it. And there's a good outdoor culture happening right now. And so I feel like it's actually a really nice summer. I don't know if anyone really loves millions and millions of tourists in their city. So it's kind of a nice break.
0: So (laughs) today we are going to knock down the walls of two of the biggest areas of I would consider to be sort of stigma incumbents that are just kind of old and backwards my world of investing and in finance and your world of sex tech intimacy everything under that umbrella if I was asked ask people say what are the two areas that people feel most awkward talking about personally it's probably got to be ours too right I don't even know what else would fit under that umbrella
1: yeah I mean I would say people are uncomfortable talking about money sometimes maybe money and sex <laughs> my- <laughs> all
0: right. We'll get into it. All right. But before we get into all those things, tell me a little bit about your background. Before starting your company, what were you up to?
1: So before starting the company, I was actually an early employee at another startup called Everlane, which I'm sure you know of. I was in the LA office, one of the really early team members there. And then before that, spent about 10 years in consumer. And in my really early career, I was legislative aide in healthcare. So It's a bit of a windy road, but I think those two chapters kind of lead me to mod. So it makes a lot of sense.
0: What's the origin story? Give us the inspiration.
1: So when I left Everlane, I wanted to work for a consumer healthcare startup. And I was in LA, as I mentioned, and just wasn't really excited about anything happening, but was firmly planted there. I bought a house. And so... I started digging into sexual wellness. It was something that was always top of mind for me. I came from a state, New Mexico, which 48th worst state in terms of condom usage. I have nieces who've had babies quite young, and I just saw a really big disconnect. And as I started researching the category, I realized there was a lot of green space, a lot of consumers who were not happy, in fact, most people, and started working on it in 2015 and then officially launched in 2018.
0: All right. Walk us through kind of the early days. Tell me about what was the original vision? What's the kind of horizon goals of what you were starting it to do? And how long was the on ramp on getting it to starting to offer products and solutions?
1: Yeah. I mean, the on ramp was long. 2015, it was an idea. 2016, started really working on the brand. It went through a couple of iterations as i'm sure many companies do the ethos of the company is really to make sex more human more you know normalized destigmatized all of the things we're talking about and to do that i think it started with design so making products that were accessibly designed and that were easy to use and sort of ageless and genderless worked on that in 2016 and then in 2017 raised my first round of funding and then launched in 2018 but it was a long process. And I think when you're dealing with the FDA, when you're dealing with very high MOQs, which is minimum order quantities, you're, it just takes a bit of time to get off the ground.
0: As I think about this industry, I tend to think of it in a couple of ways. And please correct me. I tend to think of it as pretty old school incumbents like Trojan that have been around forever, traditional distribution routes like gas stations or super creepy... Sex shops, which still exist, I guess to some extent. A lot of that has moved online. Maybe sort of walk me through: has that industry transitioned at all? Is it been something that's been pretty calcified for the last hundred years? I'm really not that versed on what it looks like, other than probably <laughs> what most would be.
1: Yeah, actually, you're right on the nose. So, in 1919, the first latex condom was introduced. So it's 101 years, but The way that this industry evolved is really interesting, actually. So, condoms and anything considered sort of pornographic were basically outlawed. There was like a prohibition for this industry, and that was through the Comstock laws, which actually started here in Brooklyn, interestingly enough. And the idea was really to make these products go away. And it obviously had a lot to do with religion and et cetera. So, but what was happening simultaneously was that soldiers were spreading venereal diseases. Eventually, as the Comstock laws, they started to be dismantled. What you were finding was that cons were being prescribed by doctors, and Trojan, the Trojans of the world, literally Trojan actually, who ate up a lot of the smaller brands, got really into bed, no pun intended, with physicians and doctors and pharmacists. And so that was the way that this started. And over time, it's become monopolized via distribution. But what that means is that These are really old school companies. They don't have an online presence the way a digitally native brand in terms of the flexibility you have as a digitally native brand. And so it's really a David and Goliath situation. But at the same time, we have an edge because we know who our customers are and we're able to be really nimble. So there's a much longer history of condoms. I can go into it. That's not totally what the episode is about. But it's a really, really fascinating history.
0: My first thought as someone listening to you talk about this, is I wonder how much innovation could possibly happen in that space. I fondly recall, I graduated high school in the 90s. And the big challenge at that point was just distribution. And having, I remember, and a cost, of course. And I remember a couple buddies started a website called freecondoms.com. This was early in the internet days. They made of Fortune doing it did a really good job. Shout out Rob Peter. I have no idea what happened to it. It got sideways with some sort of government organization. I can't remember. Anyway, how much innovation is there possible in that space? And we'll jump to all y'all's products and kind of philosophy in a little bit, but as far as those go, what are sort of the main differences that you guys thought about as you were attacking what I assume everyone would be familiar with with the traditional offerings?
1: So Like I said, condoms are class two medical devices. You're dealing with the FDA. And so the innovation comes in the form of a very long process. We didn't have that process. A, we weren't capitalized to go and create a new condom, but also we have people that have gone before us that have tried to innovate on the condom. And the fact is it doesn't matter. The innovation comes in the form of getting people to use condoms at all. A condom works when used correctly. It works 98% of the time. So the main issue is, sure, we could spend all this money. And actually, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation put out a call to action to say, innovate the con and we'll give you a million dollars because they want people to be using protection. But that's not really the challenge. The challenge is how do you destigmatize these products enough to get people to have conversations and teach basic education and be talking to their partners, et cetera. So we went to these factories and we said, we want to innovate the packaging. We want to be able to use buttercup packaging which is really easy to open. And the innovation there, while it's small, actually condoms are used incorrectly often because they're unrolled first. And so this allows for you to know which way is up and to unroll it correctly. So that was the condom. And then when you kind of go down the line of the products that we offer, like the Vibe we design from scratch, the bath and body products we own formulations for, and then the lubricant, we work with an FDA approved factory to create really body safe products. So Over time, we'll be able to innovate a lot, but I think when you're just starting out and the reason why you don't see a hundred other companies like us is because it's really cost prohibitive. So the innovation is in the form of the brand and the education.
0: You just sparked a memory. I remember my mom telling me she was doing a sort of healthcare-focused charity mission trip somewhere in the third world. And I'm going to blank on where it was. And they were trying to educate on the benefits of using condoms with the population they were talking to and and then they were in a kitchen and came back a few days later just to follow up on the discussion. And they demonstrated by putting the condom on some carrots and came back a few days later and all the condoms they had given them were just on the carrots in the kitchen. (laughs) So there's the education, but also will people actually use it? Who knows? All right. So What was sort of the rollout process on a couple of the first products? And I know you guys kind of have a whole suite now, but maybe walk me through the timeline of kind of how you started launching these and some of the initial reception.
1: I'm going to back it up a bit to sort of talk about the philosophy I have around companies, specifically product companies, I think there are really two kinds of companies. There are product companies and there are mission-based companies. And at the end of the day, if you're a mission-based company, and I'm not talking about like a give back model, I mean like if you stand for travel or you stand for intimacy, you should be able to create a world in which you can introduce lots of products and your consumers will buy from you. I did not want to create a commoditized brand. I didn't want to launch and say a condom is a hero or a vibrator is a hero. I wanted to create a brand for intimacy. And to do that, we needed to launch with the four products and really kind of democratize the pricing and the accessibility and the messaging around them. So we launched with two lubricants. One is organic aloe-based lubricant. The other one is silicone. Two different usages, a vibrator and condoms. And that allowed for us to, out of the gate, be perceived as an intimacy company. We also had a year's worth of press because I started working on press early. And we had 700 people who had signed up to get our product early. So we had a good foundation to set the tone. And then over time, serving our customer, we rolled out other products to really serve the needs that they had. So that's kind of how we started.
0: Feel free to pick one or two of any of the most popular products. would love to hear a little more kind of differentiators, how you've kind of reached out. I assume the general marketing strategy is is a combination of digital and sort of just getting the word out. I assume these aren't traditionally distributed to Target or, or whatnot? Yeah, maybe they are. Yeah, I don't know. they are. <laughs> Actually, oh, they are? Uh, okay, well, let's yeah, hear they it. they are.
1: <laughs> well, so I wanted to create a company that was eventually omnichannel because as most personal care is bought in store, this category is also bought in store. Obviously, the benefit is you can serve a customer who wants a really private, destigmatized experience online, but at the end of the day, the volume is in store. So I can't really... Reveal what's happening in the next year, but I can let you know that we are going to a big retailer. I think for us, the distribution piece in terms of where we were going to be, we wanted to align ourselves early with really sort of brand focused partners. So, not only building out the online channel through digital marketing, through press, through word of mouth, all of that stuff, but then also being in places that captured an audience that was going to be like ours. And so, we have a lot of hospitality partners, we're in a lot of retailers. And that's worked really, really well because we see those people come back to our site. It was a pretty multi-pronged approach when we launched. We are not reliant on Facebook. Facebook is not actually our friend when it comes to sexual wellness. So we've never really been reliant on it, but we do spend money there. And then the bulk of it has been through building out a real brand in an organic community. That's how we've grown.
0: What's the challenge with Facebook? Is it perceived as a topic that's taboo or something? <laughs>
1: Yes. The challenge with Facebook, it's funny. So we just launched with MoMA this week and they called, I actually saw the shape of the vibrator in a MoMA store. And that was the first inspiration for the vibrator. And I was explaining that really Brancusi, the artist Brancusi was kind of an inspiration for it. So you have this Brancusi object that looks like a paperweight that is considered too sexually explicit because it's a vibrator, which is a whole, again, this could be an entire episode around sex toys and what that all really encompasses and means. But because we have a sex toy, even though we don't call it a toy, it's considered explicit. And so we have navigated Facebook because we're really a sexual wellness company and, and we're not explicit at all in our messaging.
0: We've experimented with digital marketing this year on Facebook. And because we have a cannabis Investment strategy, it somehow tweaks every other possible piece of content and advertising. Anyway, long rabbit hole. So, what have been some of the most popular products? You know, I imagine your vision in 2018 and then walk forward a couple years. You would, I assume, have some preconceived notions of what people would be most interested in. But, like anyone launching products, people tend to adopt or gravitate to things differently than you may have envisioned, or it may be exactly what you thought. Any general summaries of kind of over the last couple years as you've launched these products as uptake and interest?
1: Yeah, I mean, I wanted to build an essentials business. So in that, I mean, the sex products, and then eventually launch other auxiliary products. But it was really, okay, we can't advertise the vibrator, but we can advertise condoms and lubricant. So we do have an audience for that. And there's sort of two buying patterns with our audience, which is they buy the vibe and then they'll buy something else. And they may not necessarily be a condom and a lubricant buyer. So they act like I thought they would act. I think in terms of where we get to market and what gets picked up, the vibe becomes the hero. Everybody wants to talk about it and impress. And then on our digital marketing channels, it's primarily like the basics. So the audience really reflects exactly what I thought they would be. They are 70% middle of country. They're two times more likely to be married. They're an older audience. They tend to be over 25 or 30. And that's what I was looking to build. So as it stands, like I said, 85% sex products and 15% are bath and body products. And that's really how we'd like to keep the mix.
0: Well, the bath and body products are pretty cool. As I mentioned earlier, not only an investor, but also a consumer. They got massage candles. You've got coconut milk bath. What tends to be the breakdown between men and women? If I had to guess, hold on, let me think about it. I would assume it's probably 60, 40 women to men.
1: Yeah, you're about right. But because they're more likely to be in a relationship, we get feedback via reviews, they're often buying it for themselves and their partner. We do tend to have this thought that we're getting to both men and women. And when we've had partnerships that were exclusively for a male audience, they have absolutely, everything has flown off the shelves. It's interesting. I mean, also as a female founder, people tend to think that mod is for women, but yeah, that's about the split. You're right.
0: The compliment I would give you guys is a lot of the packaging and design is that sort of beautiful design so it's the less sort of in your face traditional sort of male i feel like people always barbell into sort of two camps it's either the hey we're female focused or it's just like dude focused and i feel like there's you guys seem to kind of the venn diagram would be approachable to both and maybe that was intentional i'm not sure
1: That's absolutely intentional. And also the age inclusivity, right? Because you have sex your entire adult life. So we say sex is human. I often make the analogy that it's like food. Food isn't gendered. And I think it's this thing where sex and gender are related, but they're not necessarily always correlated. And if you're having sex with a partner, why would you come home with condoms that are for men in use, but marketed to women it just doesn't make any sense like sex is just a human thing <laughs> so behind the scenes we're like it's just for people and that's how we operate
0: tell me a little bit about as you've done this the past couple of years I used to always love reading the okay Cupid kind of quant statistical analysis of who's using their site and why have there been any insights or things that have really surprised you over the past couple of years where you're like I surprise, we did this and that happened, or we launched this and it was a total dud. I say this from someone who's launched 11 investment funds and counting and very often am surprised at the reception on both sides. Sometimes it's just a moment in time where something sticks and time it's crickets. Any thoughts?
1: I mean, I knew that the Vibe would be popular, but we've had 17,000 pre-orders through covid and we have a wait list in the multiple thousands and it's just amazing. It's like, it's really weird to think that the vibe is across America. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how, and now in Canada, I don't know how else to say it. I think it's just really become a hero product. And we haven't dug into, like I said, really what that means, but it does, given the feedback and some of the reviews, I just think that it, it means a lot that that product in and of itself is becoming so destigmatized. I think it means a good thing for everyone.
0: And what do you think the driving force behind that is? I mean, obviously everyone's stuck at home and it's coronavirus. And so there may be a rising tide in general, but what sort of differentiates y'all's product versus what's out there? I mean, if I would have guessed before becoming familiar with you guys, I would have said, I would have guessed it to be a saturated category where I can't imagine there being that much innovation going on, but you guys clearly have found product market fit. What do you think the big differentiators are?
1: So a lot of the feedback that we got in the beginning, and I don't think I even have to tell you as a consumer, because I feel the same way, which is the last thing you want is to be inundated with choice in this category, especially if it's your first vibrator. So about statistically, they say that about 50% of households own no sex toy and the other 50% own on average three. There's a bit of a gap there. And I think what you could say is that the challenge of buying these products is it does feel oversaturated. It's really stigmatized. It's uncomfortable to buy it in person and then often online as well. So I think just having one choice, one product, it's not complicated. I think it makes people feel like they can try it and they can incorporate it into their lives. And when you have 70% of women who don't orgasm during vaginal sex, obviously there's a need. Orgasms aren't everything, but I think in terms of people having happy, healthy, well-rounded sex lives, vibrators are important.
0: Talk to me a little bit about more about coronavirus. Is this been something that I imagine has been as I mean, if you look at wine sales that have gone through the roof the past few months and certain other industries, I imagine this has been a tailwind, but has there been any other impacts to y'all's business? You mentioned there's been a pretty strong demand for the vibe. Any other just general takeaways on how it's been running the company in New York, no less, the past six months?
1: Yeah, I mean, our day to day has looked pretty much like it did before COVID. So we come to the office, the whole team. There's not a big team; we're only five. But half of the team was here through COVID, and the other half started coming back a couple months ago. But just in terms of keeping product in stock, navigating the hurdles of, like Everlane, we work directly with each of our factories, so we're talking about a global network that we're dealing with and. Trying to navigate those relationships, those timelines, a lot of the hurdles around inventory—that's been a interesting challenge. We just finished a third round of funding and to raise during that and say, "Look, the demand is huge. We can't keep any product in stock." And just trying to toe the line between inventory and demand has been really fascinating. And a lot of it's not in our control, so it's a good thing and a bad thing.
0: <laughs> As the world starts to normalize, maybe who knows? Who knows? Tell me a little bit about the horizon. You guys have been out this for a few years, all the agonies and ecstasies of being a startup founder, but you guys still have a nice tight team. What does sort of 2020, 2021 look like for your company? Is it the focus mostly on expanding the current lineup? Is it selling products you have currently? Is it focused on marketing? What's kind of the horizon look like?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's all of... A- but Like I said, we're rolling out with a major retailer, which I think will change the composition of the team. We have 18 desks in the office and only five of them are occupied. So we plan for that early. But And then in terms of marketing, we have had a really good year in terms of understanding our marketing mix, what our CAC looks like, being profitable on first purchase. And it has essentially created the blueprint for growth. And so I think This time has just allowed for us to feel really confident about what the next couple of years look like on the D to C side. And then we're planning for the other side. There's a lot of stuff on the horizon. And then we have an announcement around someone who's involved with the company soon. So yeah, there's a lot going on.
0: We put out a lot of investment content. I mean, mean, we've done, I think, 2,000 blog posts and books and white papers and everything else. And that for a young startup has been essential to kind of get the word out. And it's nice because it tends to be low cost. I imagine in your part of the world, it's particularly interesting because people are searching, I imagine, for a lot of these topics and terms. How has content been kind of part of y'all's strategy for both education, but also for marketing too?
1: From day one, we had a blog. I'm not of the philosophy that every startup needs a blog. In fact, I think most don't because depending on the content, you really can't compete in that subject matter. But when it comes to sexual wellness, we saw a wide open space around talking about it in a lifestyle way, whether that's art, design, culture, food. We've taken that approach and that's grown tremendously. So it used to just be a blog, kind of look like a Tumblr on our site. And then in June, we launched a full-blown content site. It has three verticals, the essentials, which is an 18 to 25 year old audience, the modern, which is 25 to 40, and then the golden, which is 40 and up. And it has served these audiences in a way that we can continue to develop product and the right voice for them. And we have about 300,000 viewers a month and that's ever growing. And then it also cycles back in through SEO to creating a much larger marketing ecosystem for the products themselves. So it's great. We send out an email every week that's dedicated to the modern and most of our readers read it.
0: What's uh, to the extent you remember, recall, I'm always surprised by what I end up spending like months on a research piece and we'll publish it and it's like crickets and then we'll do a stupid tweet or article that ends up being the one that goes viral and people are interested in. Any particularly memorable pieces of content or topics that People are most curious about.
1: We have five articles that drive the most amount of traffic, and I can't name them off the top of my head, except for one, which is "Sex in the Wild West." It's one of our oldest pieces of content. It's really small. It was written like it should be on Tumblr, and for some reason, it drives a ton of traffic.
0: You have to expand. What does that even for someone who's just spent the last two months in the Wild West? Does this mean like two hundred years ago Wild West, or does it mean what is this possible headline?
1: Yeah, this means like ladies of the night in the old west. <laughs> Got it. and it's just, who knows? I mean, maybe it's just because we can own that search term, but it's pretty funny.
0: That is funny. I remember I had a tweet or an article once that had the thesis that most investment managers that were men had their best periods of performance when they had a mustache And I haven't looked at this in like 10 years, but I remember I used to laugh because I would get so many inbound Google searches from some totally random variant of nothing to do with what I was writing about and the word mustache. And it was like, ended up being for like years. So it's funny. Who knows what the inbound was?
1: Well, we had one about chest hair, did the same thing. So you just never know.
0: How much of that do you think actually has an impact on conversions? Is it a fairly meaningful amount?
1: In June, when we moved over to a bigger format, we added product at the bottom. So we're starting to see data around if there are conversions on that page, actually. But as it stands before that, they were pretty disconnected. So I will let you know soon.
0: How's Instagram been? Because I imagine for you guys having the visual of the actual products in just a very quick... I don't think that I've ever unintentionally clicked on a Google ad in my entire life. I don't think I've ever bought anything. However, I have probably purchased 30 things off Instagram in the past few years, whether it's the targeting, whether it's the visual, I'm not sure, but how much of a acquisition channel of the various, talked about Facebook earlier, But is Instagram a big one? Is it pictures that end up driving it? Is it tend to be words? Any insights?
1: We have a pretty good organic following, and we'll see people on the post purchase survey talk about that. But so we don't run Facebook ads, but we run ads through Facebook on Instagram, and those get picked up quite a bit. So we'll see a lot of traffic. I mean, you see that based on views, and people tell me they get served with ads all the time. (laughs) So it's actually a pretty big driver for us. But then I think also when you have a good organic presence and a good feed the trust gets built in because they can look up your feed and they feel more comfortable about it. So that makes sense to me that you'd buy off Instagram.
0: What does the product suite, is that something you're looking to expand at all in the coming years? Can you talk about it at all?
1: Yeah, we'll have a couple other alternatives to the basic essentials that we have. We'll probably come out with a new, a new toy or two, a different size condom, and then some more scents around our bath and body products. And we have a product that's being released in September, will expand our body line. So we're not going too, too wide, but we want to basically be your intimacy company from A to Z. It's
0: interesting you talk about it being the demographics, middle of the country. I would have guessed probably the opposite, but what role does kind of education or introducing sort of new potential consumers to the products, is that tend to be a small part of the funnel? Is it really kind of people that are already searching for these sort of products? Or is it actually expanding the territory to where you're getting a lot of kind of totally new consumers into the sort of potential field?
1: A lot of it is new, because what we're seeing through the press and the word of mouth is people telling other people. There's sort of two parts to that question. I think the first one is, What does our retention versus new customer mix look like? We don't have anyone focused on retention quite yet on the team. That's sort of the next hire. So we really are acquiring new customers all the time. We've been in 500 pieces of press. So we get slammed with new customers on a regular basis. So that's one piece of it. And then the second piece of it is just... When you look at where they're coming from, they're not necessarily coming from Google search. That's not like the bulk of people looking for these products or typing in how to replace my old vibrator. They're finding out about us through friends or these pieces of press. And so it kind of indicates that they're new users. And then the feedback in the reviews around, oh, this is my first vibe or we just tried this product for the first time. So all of that together kind of indicates that it's a new audience.
0: What are you most excited about this next sort of chapter for you guys. Any thoughts on the biggest challenge coming up?
1: Yeah. I mean, we're looking ahead at our A, our series A. I think we're looking ahead at how to expand inventory, which is a never ending problem, I think for most growing product companies. And then really the graduation of moving into large retail footprint. So I'm looking forward to 2021. 2020 can't be over soon enough, which I'm sure other people feel the same way.
0: It's felt like an entire decade already. I mean, I was just driving through Lake Tahoe where there was warnings about fire tornadoes. And I was like, How is that? I've never even heard of that and that's now a thing where there's gonna be tornadoes of fire that you have to potentially evacuate from and California in general is if you hear my scratchy voice, that's one of the reasons why it's hot and in trouble here. All right. So as you look back over the past couple of years, man, it's only been two years, but you've really been crushing it. And by the way, listeners, you got any Series A investors out there curious, reach out. I'm sure the, the Maud team would love to chat. What's been the most memorable moment of the past couple of years? Now it can be a good one. It can be a bad one. It could be a customer review. It could be your first time getting mentioned in a magazine. Anything pop to mind? Anything uh, super memorable? Good, bad in between?
1: Yeah. I mean, so on my birthday last year, I think it was last year, might've been 2018. I don't know. The years are blending together. On my birthday, we got in a really big piece of press that sold through most of our product in one day. And I think it was a great birthday present. It was also a big challenge. So that was exciting. And then in our first year, we were in the New York Times print and I was on my way to Mexico city to a wedding and I got to pick up the paper. And I think that was just really a moment of having this tangible thing in your hand and saying like, this is real. So that was really exciting.
0: What do you guys do? I mean, uh, from someone who's never obviously managed a product company, and you get sold out like that, like how challenging is that? Is that something we say, hey, look, okay, just we'll be shipping this in a month. Sorry. Or do you have the ability to scale up the production? How's that? How's that work?
1: We can scale production. Obviously through COVID, it was a bit of a trickier challenge because there really were raw material outages, et cetera. But I think for us, it's just planning. So we actually now have, even though we're a team of five, we have a lot of fractional C-level team members. So we have a chief planning officer who just came aboard. Now we're planning through the end of next year and we're erring on the side of um, maybe overbuying because we have gone on those kinds of spikes. You just you have to have product in stock. But I will say that our customers have been really great. I email them personally and they send me really nice notes back. And I think it creates a relationship that we have with them that they feel like we're real people behind the scenes and we're working as hard as we can to get them the products that they've bought. So it's always a challenge, but I get really excited at the prospect of just making sure people know that there's a human paying attention to them and keeping our heads on straight and one of the things that we haven't touched on, but that's so important, is that Maud has a really strong, happy culture. And so I don't want anybody going home at the end of the night thinking like we completely failed because something like that has happened. It will happen again and we will get through it. And I want everyone to have a life outside of the office.
0: Where do people go? They want to find out more about you guys, about your offerings, interests and products. What's the best place?
1: getmod.com. So M-A-U-D-E, because we couldn't just getmod.com. <laughs> and we also have a blog that has a pretty sizable amount of viewers every month. And that's called The Modern. So you can go to the modern.com spelled M A U D E R N. our end.
0: The mod.com is, I think it's just a squatter. There's a restaurant in LA. It's actually a pretty fancy restaurant. Is that who's I know in it in? is. I don't know.
1: <laughs> no, it's a squatter in Spain. And even my Spanish couldn't get through. So
0: Say it. Uh- I'll send you a lifetime supply of candles if you give us the domain. (laughs) Well, maybe, hopefully it'll be one of our listeners and they'll reach out. They'll see the light. That's frustrating. Well, you got a good domain anyway. The restaurant in LA that does it, I don't even know if they're still around, but.
1: I think it's Curtis Stone's restaurant. Yeah.
0: They used to do, and you can correct me, they used to do an entire like menu focused on one ingredient. I don't know if they still do that anymore. It was delicious, but it would be like somehow asparagus would be in every <laughs> every every potential <laughs> offering. I don't know.
1: Well, if they're still around, we're gonna have to do a dinner with them, I suppose.
0: Yeah, it's a great one. Eva, thanks so much for taking the time today. Listeners, if you're a potential employee, if you're a potential investor, if you're a potential customer, which is everyone, because I know you guys have nothing to do during quarantine, go check out getmod.com. Thanks so much for joining us today
1: thank you so much
0: for having me. Podcast listeners will post show notes to today's conversation at mebfaber.com forward slash podcast. If you love the show, if you hate it, shoot us feedback at the mebfabershow.com. We love to read the reviews. Please review us on iTunes and subscribe the show anywhere good podcasts are found. My current favorite is Breaker. Thanks for listening, friends, and good investing.